If you haven't already, take your Bibles and open them to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13. We're going back to the passage that uh, Josh used in our responsive reading, and we're going to zero in on verse 4. Again, uh, the book of Hebrews, uh, chapter 13 and verse 4. Many of you have had uh, the experience where I ask of you a question. That is, something along these lines, are works necessary for salvation? And then before you can reply, say, now, whatever you answer, whether you answer yes or no, I'm going to tell you, your answer is wrong. Most people don't really like that. But uh, what I try to illustrate in that is that the answer to the question can be yes or can be no for depending on how we understand that issue. If we're talking about that which is essential to become a Christian, then works are absolutely excluded. That is, we're saved by grace through faith. But if we're looking at the person who is converted, there is a necessity of grace, of the gospel, working its way out in a transformed life. And so they're necessary in that sense. Well, I'm going to do this again with you today. And that is... Does the gospel, or does being a Christian, make you happier? Does the gospel, or does being a Christian, make you happier? Now, there is a sense to where that the obligation that comes with following of Christ makes our lives sometimes more difficult, sometimes incredibly more difficult in this life and yet particularly as we think about our subject matter at at hand namely the family as the gospel informs and as the gospel empowers us to live in this essential unit this fundamental this foundational unit this foundational community that we call the family then I would emphasize that the gospel informs and empowers us to know the reality of joy right now. The thing that I often remind you of is that our ultimate end is the perfection, the enjoyment, of joy forever. I promise you that is where you are headed if you are a believer. And one of the goals that I have in pastoring and and leading you is I want as much as possible of that joy to be a part of, be a reality for your life right now as you sit here in beautiful suburban Clay, Alabama. I want you to know something of joy. Even in the midst of a tumultuous time and it is and I believe that as the gospel informs our lives and as it is applied to our marriages to our homes then there is a reality that that joy becomes an ever-increasing reality for the here and now now we look forward to what the perfection of our joy the completion of our joy. But we can know 
we can know something of that joy, even large measures of that joy, even as we gather and even as we live in a fallen world. And so let's think this morning, again, uh, this business of the essential family, and I, I think that's key. The family is essential. If, if what we know of as, and I'm going to use a broader term, Western culture, if it's going to survive, it will be because we have restored the essential realities of family life to our culture. Where, where the fundamentals of what it means to live in community and society are learned. And so let's think about joyful marriage in a, in a sinful world. Look at verse 4 if you will. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Pray with me, if you will, please. Father, we thank you for your truth, your word to us. It is given for our good so that we would flourish, even in a world that is under the curse of sin that your people may know you and may know your joy may we hear and may we understand here this day in Jesus name we pray amen as we look at this particular book the book of Hebrews uh, written to troubled Christians which I suppose that you could say that of every book of the New Testament, that the book was addressed to Christians who were perplexed, they were troubled regarding the world in which they were living. So the thing is, the point is that nothing has changed very much in 2,000 years. And what we see is this writer wants us to have a fundamental understanding of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of what God has done in Jesus for us. And then he begins to speak to us about how these realities of forgiveness and righteousness, how they apply to us as we live in a, in a fallen world. And, and you can look at there, verse 1 of chapter 13. Let brotherly love continue. We are to love one another. That is the, the fundamental ethic of the Christian life, that we're to be good to one another. And so, like the other places that the Bible speaks to us regarding how to succeed in marriage, this passage, or this text, verse 4, appears in the context of broader exhortations as to how we're to live as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so verse 4, there, there are two exhortations there. The first is that we need to value marriage. Now, to be sure, it is speaking to the church, okay? The church is to honor marriage, is to think of it, because think of it as a, a good thing, as a valuable thing, something God has given to us as a good gift. And directly related to our valuing marriage, of thinking of it as a very good thing, a very important thing, a very essential thing uh, from God, then it is to be protected. 
And again, the, the, the kind of the imagery of the marriage bed there is, is used, that it is to be, to be guarded against all forms of immorality, whether it's premarital, postmarital, or during marital. But the, the marriage is to be defended against all enemies, against all uh, interlopers. And so in the church, we want to do a couple of complementary things. We must instruct regarding the doctrine of the family or the doctrine of marriage. Okay, We, we want people uh, to know about what God has planned or designed for us, and then we want to demonstrate it. We want people to see that the joy of the next age, of the next chapter, is actually breaking into our world as we live together as, as husband and wife. That, that the world can see a distinctive difference. And if you work maybe in, in an office or a place where there's multiple co-workers, just think about how people refer to their marriage or their mate. I can guess that many times it gives less than a flattering view. Well, my old lady, well, my old man, and it goes down from there. You follow what I'm saying? So we need to value marriage. We need to, we need to hold it out up so the world looks at it and sees, since this is a gift of God, it's a revelation of God, it is a good thing, and it's something that God has given to us so that we may know something of joy in this life. Remember the whole purpose of marriage, ultimately, is to illustrate to the world the great love Christ has for his church. So be careful about talking about the old lady or the old man. And on and on it goes. So, let's look, first of all, marriage and holy living. Again, can unbelievers be married, and should they get married? Let me just kind of cover some preliminary ground there. God gave the family, God gave marriage as, as a gift to all of humanity. And sometimes unbelievers do pretty well having families. They, you know, they do okay. They stay married. They don't kill each other much. Uh, I mean, you know, and, and their children, sometimes they're okay. I mean, it happens. And we speak of this as God's common grace. And if you'll remember last week, I talked about tragically what I see going on in the world is what I think is a withdrawing of the common witness of God's Holy Spirit that restrains evil. Okay? That's what I think is going on. Okay? Why? Because we've told him to get out. As a culture, what do we say? God, get out. We don't want you here. We're, 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 we're going to redefine marriage. We don't care what you say about marriage. We're going to do it our way. We don't care about anything that you say about anything. So get out. So guess what? God gave them over. Remember that phrase? So that's what we're seeing here. But, so, yes, it's possible. I've known unbelievers have stayed married for 50 and 60 years, and, and, and sometimes their kids aren't crazy. Okay, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, it happens. But, ultimately, marriage 
is really seemingly designed, since it's designed by God for those who know God, to be distinctly focused or purposed for two people who first and foremost love Jesus Christ and then love each other. That seems to be the way it works better. So let's look at, uh, I speak first of all of regenerate hearts. In other words, one, I can remember, go ahead and turn your Bibles to the Gospel of John. Got a lot to say today. So I mean, But I can remember as a young person, and yes, I was a young person at one time. I was looking in the... Uh, Rearview mirror yesterday and had the sunroof where, you know, the, the blind was off of it. And that bright sun was hitting my hair. And I thought, you sure are gray-headed. Uh, and so I guess that means I'm not young anymore. Uh, but I was one time. And it seemed to me, maybe it was unique to small town, small church. But I saw lots of young people marrying people that were in the church, marrying unbelievers. And many times that really went sideways in a hurry. Uh, I can think of one couple, though, that uh, she was a believer, or at least thought she was. You know, I'm assuming she was. She acted like she was. Married a guy that was an unbeliever, but one of the best guys you'd ever know. They're still married 50-something years later. I mean, they, you know, it happens, okay? But the church, beginning as I got into my teenage years, Seems like we became more focused and, and, and understood design of marriage is two believers. And, and most pastors that I know, the fundamental question as we start premarital counseling, are we talking to two believers here? And, and that's the only people we're going to be involved with, with marrying you know, within, within the church. And so it's important that we're speaking of people who have been born again. Because, now, what, did I, what is the ultimate purpose of marriage? Now, it, I, it's a great thing if you're happy about being married. Okay? It really is. It's okay to be happy. It, it really is. But ultimately, marriage is this picture of Jesus Christ and his church. That's what, so, so it has a bigger purpose than you being married. Now, what does Jesus tell Nicodemus in John 3? Except a man be born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God now I've said that means you know of course you can't go to heaven unless you're born again but you don't see the workings of the kingdom all around you you don't understand its principles except what except you're born again notice verse 12 of John 3 Jesus told him said now if I tell you earthly things and you do not believe me now, if I've just told you some fundamental things about the weather, about how things work, about how, how the grain grows, or different, but you don't even believe me about these kind of basic things, then how are you going to believe me if I talk to you about these heavenly things? And so, I should be able to talk to believers about the realities of marriage because of what? You see the kingdom of God. You see the, the kingdom principles, the, the workings of the kingdom, the promises of the kingdom working in and around and among you. Because what? Because you're born again. Because you, you, can, you, can, you can see, you have eyes to see that which you previously did not see. That 
to correspond with that, you have a mind that's illuminated to, to understand the Word of God and, and to apply it, to, to know the truths of, of, of the Word of God. And the world looks at the Bible in terms of a book that, it, that explains to me how I can be most miserable. I would say that's a basic, probably, unfortunately, probably a lot of people sitting in pews or chairs in churches somewhere probably basically have the same view. That the Bible is given to me so I may be miserable. And that's not true. Whatever the Bible gives us for our information, for our instruction, is so that we may flourish. So that we may, again, have joy breaking into our lives. And so we, we understand that. Our minds are illuminated to understand biblical principle and not only understand them, but to apply them. Because, and, and as that goes on in our life, our wills are increasingly surrendered. You know, our, our wills are, it's a, it's a whole, not our wheels now, okay? I said our wills. I know I, you know, kind of have a, but our wills, W-I-L-L-S, it's an interesting thing because you know what I would really like to do when I leave here? Go get a triple cheeseburger and a big old order of French fries and maybe some onion rings to go with it. And then to follow it up with a, like a hot fudge cake. Yeah, that's what, I mean, I really would like to do that. And I can do that every once in a while. But I can't do it every day. I have a greater will to try to be reasonably healthy. I have a greater, so, but it competes, it conflicts a lot. And I, but but as, as our, when our hearts are regenerate and, and our minds are illuminated and our wills begin to surrender to the greater will of what? Pleasing God. Of pleasing God. Sometimes there's conflict, but we seek, we desire to please God. Now, this is good. I want you to go to Psalm 119 because I want you to see this. I told the earlier group, I'm going to have you turn to a lot of different scriptures. I had to buy a new Bible this week, so I need to break it in. So I'm just, I'm kind of flipping around in this Bible to get it broken in. So I'm going to let y'all get a little exercise with that uh, as well. Uh, my, my other pulpit Bible, it got raptured a few weeks ago. Um, so uh, I hate to tell you this, but you've all been left behind. And my Bible's in heaven now, evidently. And so that's the, only place, I, that's the only place I haven't looked for my Bible. So the psalmist writes, verse 32, I will run in the way of your commandments when you enlarge my heart. That is, you're going to give me an increased capacity to obey you and to know you and to enjoy you. As I grow in your grace through my knowledge of your truth, my knowledge of your word, you're going to give me a big heart. Now, I can remember in, in high school, football coaches talking about somebody, he's got a big heart. Now, if your doctor tells you you've got a big heart, you've got a problem. Okay? But if, what a football coach means usually is he's small, but he's slow. That is, he can't play a lick, but he wants to. You, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's got a big heart. He's willing, to let, he's willing to let those big old linemen beat the fool out of him. Play after play after play, but he keeps coming back. And, and so he's got a big heart. 
and, and it means he's got a great capacity to endure. And God gives us what? As we grow in grace, he gives us a great capacity not only to just get our, our brains beat out, but to joyfully get our brains beat out. No. But to, to know him and to know his pleasures. God grows our hearts. He increases our capacity to love him. And then guess what? Guess what happens as we love him? We love one another. And that includes your mate. That includes your spouse. That as you grow to love God, you will grow in your love for him or for her. Isn't that a great thing? I mean, y'all are, I know it's been a tough week, but this is really good news, okay? It, it really is, okay? So, marriage is really good news, particularly for the believer, as an increasing amount of the realities of the coming age can break into our life even right now, even in the midst of a tough season. Really can. So, let's think, second of all now, what I call the overarching principles. So I've already mentioned it. I'm a, I, I, like I say, I, I, you know me, I get very front-loaded here. But, but go ahead and turn in the book of Ephesians, to the book of Ephesians. And let me show you one thing. It's an interesting thing that I think that you could go out into the culture and if you were to survey the man on the street or the woman on the street, the person on the street, and said, would you like to have a, a great family or a wonderful family life or would you like to have a happy marriage one day? I think most people say absolutely. I would really, really like that. Now, as I said, there are occasions unbelievers do okay with marriage. Okay, I, I'm not going to say they never do. They do sometimes. But if you want to know everything that God has designed for you to have and enjoy in marriage, it will be in the context, the broader context, of holy living. In other words, God, I, 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 just, I just want a great wife that that, that we can just, you know, have all kinds of fun together. But in every other area of my life, I'm going to do my thing. But I would like to come home and have, have a happy wife so I can be happy. It really doesn't work like that. It's in the context, again, of living out the realities of the gospel as a believer. And so these household codes that I... That I note here in point two, Ephesians four, Colossians three, First Peter three, all of these detail, they're fundamentally expositions of Genesis one and two. That's all those passages do. They explain to us the realities of God's design and God's command that we've looked at in Genesis one and two. And the exhortations for us in terms of living them out occur in the context of be a faithful follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of be, be filled with the Spirit. Notice there in Ephesians chapter 4, say verse 17. Paul exhorts us to no longer live like the Gentiles do because it's a waste of time. Just read that. That's what he says. 
Don't live like the unbelieving world because it is a waste of time. Now, what the church has done in the course of my lifetime is we have allowed the unbelieving world to dictate to us how we do church and how we do family. And Paul says what? Don't take your cues from the world. Don't do it. It won't work. So, because, now, now, now think of it for just a moment. If I go up to the average person who is an unbeliever, and so I'd like to talk to you about family, if I could, for just a moment. Would, would you mind? Uh, and again, I'm not, uh, not going to buttonhole you. I'm, not gonna, I just, I just, I'm just curious about what you think about family. And I go to the average woman, and I say to you, what, what do you think about living in submission to your husband? She would, what, where in the world did you come from? Are you, are you crazy, man? Are you out of your mind that I would live under some knucklehead's authority? And to go to a man on the street and say, what do you think about loving your wife sacrificially? Even to the place that you would, it would change your schedule. It would change your spending habits. It would change the way you, uh, Allot your time. <laughs> Seriously? But again, we have we we understand that God has principles that are directly related to the joy of the age to come that can be applied within the the the, the context of marriage, so that we may know something of the joy that is going to be ours as the bride of Christ. Hear me, and it but it and it occurs in the walk with Christ, and 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 as we move on toward the household passages, as we work through Ephesians four and five, uh, we 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 learn a lot. Again, it, this this warning uh, about uh, sexual immorality. We we are we're the most sexualized people in the world. I'll say more about that in just a moment. So, my point is this. People of God, the church, we want a happy home life. It occurs in the context of living in accord with biblical principles of being filled with the Spirit, of being obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay? Then it begins to flow. It, I, and I have known people like this. Basically, I'll start living for God when God gives me the partner that I want. Yeah. And it simply doesn't work like that. Well, let's move forward here. Again, I'm, I'm going to hit this real, real quickly. We understand God designed us and God designed marriage. So you ought to go somewhere else to learn how to do it, to do, to do marriage, right? Since God designed us, God designed marriage, and it makes perfect sense to go to the godless people of this world to figure out how to live marriage. You get, you get the idea? You get the idea? You know, everything you, you own today, well, we used to get owner's manuals. Now they tell you to go look it up on YouTube. No, you don't get a piece of paper that tells you how to operate this thing. Go pull it up on YouTube. But you get the idea. They'll tell you how to operate something. So, we need to remember 
that our culture is not free to redefine, to reinvent, to re-engineer. It doesn't work. And so, again, Jesus himself held marriage to a place of prominence. As they quiz him about divorce and this whole man, he, he goes back to the creation ordinance. This is God's design. What, what God has put together is not your work to break it up, split it apart, redefine it, redo it. So, I, I, you know, theological education and biblical knowledge is a really good thing for a pastor to have. But you need to have a sense of humor too, you know. You're going to do this thing. And I got kind of tickled a few weeks ago because I got a, a lot of, oh, you must not think much of marriage. Oh, you must not like marriage. Marriage must be really bad. No. No. In fact, the Bible says, Proverbs 31, verse 10, that he who finds a, mar- a wife finds a what? Boy, he's got trouble now. Oh, boy. Uh, he didn't know what he was getting into. Oh, boy. Finds what? Finds what? Finds a good thing. Finds a good thing. Yeah. So, again, marriage is excellent because it's an excellent idea given by an excellent God for the good of his people. Now, let's talk for a minute. Recognizing the enemies of marriage. Now, I cite two passages there. 2 Corinthians 10.3 and 1 Peter 3.14. In 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says that in proclaiming the gospel, what he does is he he dismantles, he demolishes, he destroys that which stands in opposition philosophically and other ways to the gospel. I'm going to show you the, the, the illogical nature, the destructive nature of that which you hold, is what he's getting at. Uh, the... You know, we just lost one, one of the great Christians of my lifetime, Ravi Zacharias. Just a, a giant of a gentleman. I, I mean, just, I, 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 could, I could listen to, to him all day long. I, I just love listening. I, I wish I had his demeanor, his, his gentleness, you know. Just, just, but but when, whenever somebody sought to advance their godless philosophies he could so gently and sweetly show them what it doesn't work now let me let me just just in a, a quick aside as i mentioned last week we are not analyzing the problem properly in this country we're going to address it with unbiblical principles ungodly principles and so whatever the resolution is for our problems will not work May band-aid a while, may not, I don't know. But as long as we cannot see things through a biblical prism, we're not going to see them correctly, okay? We're not going to see them biblically. And so when people come up with it, you know, I just think that two people that care about each other, they ought to be able to be together and blah, 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 blah. Uh, or I don't, I don't know what a little old piece of paper has to do with me being happy. I can just, I can just shack up, uh, uh, live together. And I know that's kind of a dated, that's not quite a Somerville, Georgia term, Heath, but it, you know, it's, uh, it's been around for a while. But I'm just going to live without the benefit of a piece of paper. That, 
you need to be able to demolish that foolishness. You see what I'm saying? So Paul says that when you assault marriage, that which we hold in honor, I'll demolish your argument against it. And then Peter says what? Be prepared to give a defense for the hope that's within you. I'm going to defend that marriage is a good thing. That it's a good gift from God. That God has given it to us not so, so we may be you know, kind of jammed up in this miserable relationship so that you know, we just don't get in trouble some other place. No. God gave it to us so we would know something of His eternal joy. That we live with hope and marriage is a part of that hope. Be prepared to defend it. And I know none of you would do this, but so don't refer to her as the old lady or the old man. You see what I'm saying? I mean, that, God gave you a good gift. So, all right. Now then, enemies. Now, let me, if, if you are a baby boomer or later, I mentioned this morning, I am the front third of the final third of baby boomers. If, if baby boomers were born between 46 and 64, that's 18 years. I was born in 58, so that's the beginning of the last six years. Okay, I don't know if that has something to do with judgment or I don't know, maybe, I, I, I don't know. But if you were born during the time of baby boomers or later, Hear me. You're a victim of sexual assault. What do I mean? Your senses have been under assault by the media, by the education system, with all kinds of perversion about what it means to be a human being and what it means to, to express human sexuality. You have been assaulted for the last 75 years. Y'all are looking at me like, do you not agree? Do you not agree that what we have seen and heard over the course of our lifetime has been nothing less than a sexual assault? Yeah. No wonder we're so fouled up. And now, the education system is demanding more of what belongs to the home in terms of instruction so that we may instruct your children as to how to appropriately express themselves sexually. Okay. All right, so defend, demolish, the no-fault divorce. You know, I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a Ronald Reagan fan, but do you know who signed into law the first no-fault no divorce law in the United States of America when he was governor of California, Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And so, okay, years ago, a, a buddy of mine and I took a little road trip, a little weekend road trip. He was kind of telling me stuff about himself and everything. And, and I knew he had been divorced. He was remarried. And... I assumed that somebody was guilty of immorality in the original divorce, et cetera. You know, I didn't know. He said, no, nah, we just kind of looked at each other and said, you know, if we did this again, I think we'd do better, don't you? 
We just don't have any chemistry. We just didn't have any chemistry, so we just called it quits. We just got a divorce. Good and faithful members of one of the biggest mega churches in the, in the city. Yeah, we just, you know, we just don't jive, don't gel. And so again, you see, and they're, they're professing believers, and the world looks at it, okay, that's what marriage is. You just change it like you change your dirty socks. It gets to stinking, you get a new pair. That's the way it works. Do you see? Marriage is to be held in honor by the people of God. You don't do that. You don't do that. And then, sexual revolution, no-fault divorce, personal autonomy. Ain't nobody telling me what to do. You know, now I've told the staff many times over the years, I know one of the most popular phrases repeated probably in this, in this church, and, and you can change the names for any church. That's just Tim. You know how. My gosh. There he goes. That's just Tim. Well, let me tell you something. If it's just Tim, forget it. But if it's consistent with the Word of God, you better believe it. You better believe it. All right, well, no, that's just not what I think. That's not what I feel. And so, again, we've imported that into the home. Well, I know that I'm called to be submissive, but I heard a preacher tell a very lovely church lady one time her problem was her butt. Yeah. I didn't, and it wasn't me. I did not say that. Well, I know, I know that's what the Bible says, but, yeah. So all of these things, now that, we know that. But what about what I call the undercover enemies that are destroying marriage? Now, since I mentioned the sexual revolution, guilt. I would suspect my generation lives with a lot of guilt about bad behavior from their early life. There's a remedy for that. It's called the gospel. It's called the gospel. That he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me tell you, even those that have been victimized by abortion, guess what? He washes it white as snow. Yeah. Yeah. When you call it what it is. Now, as long as we make excuses about our sin and refuse to call it what it is, guess what? We never know grace. We never know the gospel. It's okay to be honest. You're not coming before the throne of grace on your own merits anyway. You're coming on the basis of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, which washes away every stain. So a lot of people bring a lot of guilt into marriage, and, and it's... And it, it, it's difficult. Then, just selfishness. Selfish with time, resources, finances, emotions. How many times have I heard, well, he's just kind of shut off emotionally. She's just kind of shut off emotionally. Just they're, just they're just not available to me emotionally. Yeah. 
unrealistic expectations, whether that's in the, the, the physical realm or in the emotional realm. Let me tell you something. If you got married for somebody to meet your needs, to fulfill you, bless your heart because you're going to be disappointed because Christ is the only one. Our hearts are restless until we what? We get married. No, until we rest in thee. That's what it is. So, unrealistic expectations, laziness. I make no apologies. It takes a lot of energy and effort to have a marriage. It really does. And sometimes we're just lazy. Just flat. I just don't want, I just don't want to put the effort into it. Busyness, whether it's work or kids or hobbies or church. I have met a lady several years ago. She's with the Lord now. But she was so angry at her husband and the church because he spent every waking moment either, either working or churching. Always had something to do at church. I suspect he was running away from home. Very unhealthy. But busyness, just got too much, too many irons in the fire, and it, and it fatigues you so much, you don't have, you know, you get lazy. Inattentiveness, or kind of corollary, just self-absorbed. I'm all about me and my stuff. Just creeps into marriage so easily. A big one, anger and unforgiveness. Angry at God. Because he did or didn't do whatever you thought God should do. Well, if you think God shouldn't have done, shouldn't have acted the way he did, you got really big problems. We got we got a lot of work to do. So but 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 angry about your parents or your siblings or your mate or your children or your just angry your lack of forgiveness fundamentally it, it may hurt those relationships but your anger will do more to harm you than it will anybody else and then once you've destroyed yourself you'll go out of your way to destroy everybody in your wake interference you know you need to build a fence around your home you need to make sure that nobody interferes whether it's parents or whatever this is a bit, we've, we've been doing a, a thing in Sunday school before the COVID thing hit, uh, the complete husband. A lot of stuff about communication. It's hard. It is hard to communicate. I, I think I've said that a number of times. It is, it is just it is incredibly difficult. You have a hard time understanding me because of my lack of ability to explain, Okay? And the fact that you don't listen. And vice versa. I don't listen to you either. Okay? We don't listen. And, and, we, and we get I get so impatient trying to explain something. A lot of Bryce Evans comes out. I, really, I mean, it just does. I get, you know. But communication, very difficult. And then, and then coveting. Typically, 
Not, not, uh, there's probably no such thing as typically. It is not unusual when there are marriage issues. One of the fundamental things is overwhelming debt. That, that, that something has happened, uh, you know, too many toys, too big a house, too many new cars, all on credit. And it, it, it will contribute, if not create, all of these other problems. And so, again, learning contentment is a fundamental thing. Learning contentment with your mate, but learning contentment with where you are in, in life. Instead of always got to have newer and bigger and better and, you know, creating all of this uh, turmoil. Um, and just kind of an aside, I told the earlier group, had several really, really good friends that tremendously successful as bankers. And I can, I can remember the day I had a dear, dear friend went home to be with the Lord way too early from, you know, human perspective, 54 years old, dropped dead in his living room. Uh, it's been about 25, 27 years ago now. But he's one of those people I loved and I liked and I admired, kind of that rare combination. And uh, back in the day, if you wanted to borrow money from the bank, show me three ways you're going to pay this loan back. Collateral, income stream, savings. But, you know, you just didn't, you know, and, and so when I went into business, I put a building up. I had a building that was paid for at the time. I put it up as collateral for a loan to fund my business, and that was all I got. And if I wanted more, they'd laugh at me. And I had two friends in two different large cities, same age as me. They had six-figure unsecured lines of credit. And both of them destroyed themselves financially. And so, again, it was just those guys, that wisdom and that conservatism spared me a lot of heartache. But this, this idea of just got to always be reaching and grabbing for more, you put so much pressure. And, and if anything, I've learned a lot in these last 90 days. I really have, believe it or not. But no matter how financially secure you think you are, Let me tell you something. It can be gone just like that. Jobs, savings. I mean, you know, one of the byproducts of, of all that's going on is, you know, businesses being burned out. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of questions. What, is insurance going to cover that? May have a thriving business, and all of a sudden it's it's just destroyed by fire. You know, insurance is that going to pay for it? I'm just saying, abundance of caution in terms of finding. I guess that was all free. So, marriage, family, it's essential. It's necessary for the survival of the of of the society of the human race. It is it is a good good gift and and we the church have been we've been entrusted with the gospel and there's a sense where we've been entrusted with marriage 
And so we need to hold it up high and, and honor it and say this is a good thing that God has given us. And, and, and here's the thing, that as I live biblically in the confines of, of marriage, that, that I have the opportunity of showing others what eternity is going to be like. It's going to be a joyful thing. That's a pretty big thing for the church to be entrusted in. That marriage can be joyful. But there's a prescription for it. There's a remedy if you've already ran it off the tracks. And there's a prescription for how to stay on the tracks. Okay? And so even in a sinful and sorrowful world, there can be the abundance of joy. There can be the abundance of joy in this thing that God has given us for our pleasure, for our flourishing, and for His own glory. Pray with me. Father, thank You for your truth, for your power, uh, Lord, living in community, whether that community is the church or the family, sometimes challenges us. But God, it's a, both are such a great and good gift. And you've given it so that we may flourish and know you better and may make you known more widely. Lord, would you bless us? Would we honor you? Would we be those who defend and, and protect marriage for our own good for the sake of your kingdom for the good of the entire world we ask these things in jesus name amen